Hey, what's up, everybody? Real quick, before we start today's show, I want to tell you about an awesome deal. I got a couple days to take advantage of this, depending when you're listening to it. You have until Labor Day. The sale is through Labor Day. Check out North Spokane Hemp Company. I always thought it was Spokane. Guess it's Spokane. And go to NorthSpokaneCBD.com. And if you enter promo code LIONS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Incredible deal. Um, If you haven't tried CBD before, they have everything, you know, all kinds of different kinds. They have the uh, the full spectrum. They have the isolate. They have raw hemp. Anything you could imagine, anything you need to suit your CBD means. Also, the company is owned by a libertarian. Doesn't get much better than that. North Spokane Hemp Company. Check it out. NorthSpokaneCBD.com. Enter promo code LIONS for 25% off. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And a special welcome to all of the listeners who have come over from Dave Smith's uh, Part of the Problem who are just waiting with uh, with bated breath to uh, to listen uh, to Monday's episode uh, with Mark Clare hosting the debate between Dave and Andy Craig. A lot of you guys have heard it from joining the Lions of, Lions of Liberty Pride, um, where the version was already released there. So uh, if you want to catch that, go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Uh, you can hear it today, right after you listen to this, of course. Um, and... Uh, Thank you guys for coming over. If you don't know, this we have a bit of a variety show here at Lions of Liberty. Monday is Mark Clare's show, talking to entrepreneurs, uh, expats, leaders in, in the liberty movement, all kinds of different people. Brian McWilliams on Wednesday, talking comedy, culture, and liberty, of course. And on Friday here, we're talking about the criminal justice system. We're talking about the law and all that good stuff. And today's episode is a little bit different than normal. Um, a lot of my episodes, probably what I'm best known for, is the episodes where I bring on people who have been through the criminal justice system and who have overcome the obstacles thrown in front of them, the uh, constraints put on their life, come out of prison after being locked in a cage and have just crushed life and found success after prison. Love those stories. Today's episode, like I said, it's different. Um, my guest, we're going to be talking about the workplace, and we're going to be talking about it through the lens of employment law and focusing on corporate America, what's going on there. There's a, obviously a lot of talk today about uh, diversity in the workplace, racism in the workplace. Uh, we'll talk about microaggressions. What is that even? Is it overused? What does the term even mean? I wasn't even sure what the term meant. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. I'm excited for you guys to hear this interview. Just so you know, it's a little different. And uh, please, my guest, I'm pretty sure she's uh, she's not a libertarian. Um, I would guess she probably comes from uh, the left side of the aisle, but I'm not sure. But we had a great conversation, and I think it is important. You know, I treat it this way. Hopefully, you do too. It's important to talk to people outside of your uh, general uh, cast of uh, characters, cast of individuals that you talk to normally. We don't live in an echo chamber here at Lines of Liberty, so please enjoy today's episode. 
My guest today on Felony Friday is Sejal Thacker. Uh, Sejal is not your average employment law attorney. Uh, her more than 15 years of experience advising clients, human resource personnel, and legal counsel regarding sound standard employment practices, uncovered a need and a personal, personal passion for bringing more proactive, relevant, and impactful workplace training programs to her clients and their teams. Her highly experimental customized workshops tailored to executives, managers, and individual contributors bring the courtroom to the training room in an interactive, engaging environment that favors human stories over compliance checklists. And I can definitely relate to that. I've been through plenty of compliance checklists in my time in corporate America. Uh, She continues to provide her uh, legal counsel, including investigations regarding harassment, discrimination, bullying, retaliation, misconduct, and other topics with the same passion. No matter the context, her passion for helping clients understand the value of more harmonious workplaces and the path to getting there is always front and center. Sejo, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to to have you on the show. Um, We talked about when we talked a week or two ago uh, in our pre-show chat beforehand about your your experience and how you got into uh, the field that you're in, employment law. And this episode, I mean, to be honest, and I told you this, it's a little different than a lot of my episodes where I'm bringing on people who have been through the criminal justice system. But I think this conversation today is going to be really important and really insightful for a lot of people because I know a lot of our listeners work in you know, a corporate-style workplace or a startup environment or something like that. And they're dealing with a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. We want to get into all of that and talk about your training and your experience in employment law. But before we get there, just so my audience can know, get to know you a little bit better and sort of uh, where you come from and, uh, and your passions, if you could share a little bit about your background, where you grew up and what drove you towards, I guess, first of all, what drove you towards a field in, in the law? Yeah, you know, um, John, I knew that very early on. I mean, I was one of those kids that was always asking questions. And specifically, I was always asking why, like I had to know why we had were why we were being asked to do something or why I should be doing something. And so early on, I, around eight or nine years old, my dad said to my mom at dinner one time, she's like, she's going to be an attorney. And so I kind of already planned that the whole way through. And then employment law, which is what I'm doing right now, I, you know, it actually just sort of landed in my lap. To be honest with you, in law school, I didn't even take an employment law class, but um, I knew I wanted to do social justice. And I was really passionate about equal rights and and just, you know, I'm trying to find a, a space to be able to be a voice for those that are marginalized. So I knew I wanted to head in that direction. And then when I got out and I moved to California, I took my bar exam and one of the first jobs I got was in a law firm that was doing workers' compensation. And so there it went. And I realized, well, I can make a difference by helping employees understand what their rights are in the workplace. Because a lot of times people don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's expensive to retain lawyers. And so a lot of times employees don't speak up about what they're going through and they put up with it for a long time and they're just not happy. And I think employers, when I saw was employers were actually trying to create better environments, but it wasn't working. And so I'm trying to kind of fill that gap to help organizations like really create cultures around 
civility and equal treatment and dignity for all. I want to talk about, you know, more about your training and your, you call them experimental methods that you're using in these customized workshops. Before we get to that, I want to hit on your, uh, your past here as an, you know, when you were working in the field, I guess in corporate employment law, would you call it that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I worked in corporate, um, like litigating cases in court for most of my career up until about eight years ago. So... I don't know how much detail you can go into, but can you give us, just to get a taste, what, what would be an example of something you would typically deal with, a situation? Sure. And and so as in my, um, when I was actually litigating courses, I mean, uh, cases, I dealt a lot with discrimination and harassment cases. So a lot of the cases I worked on dealt with sexual harassment. Um, I had some cases that dealt with race discrimination and a lot of cases dealing with hostile work environments. So those would be the areas that I really dealt a lot with. So who who was your client? You were representing the, the corporation or the or the employee? Yeah, I'd be representing the corporation. So seeing it from that side, did that motivate you to get to get more involved sort of in the in the other side where you're able now to to train and try to prevent some of these um, you know situations from happening? Yeah, you know, wearing that hat and working with management and dealing with how corporations were handling situations when somebody made a complaint of, let's say, sexual harassment and and really seeing what they did to address that and what they didn't do. That really gave me a a way of looking at organizations from a different lens, Mm -hmm. a legal lens. But I also then did a lot of workplace investigations. So I was really able to get into the nuts and bolts of how organizations run overall. And so I bring that experience to now doing training and I'm not, I I get retained. A lot of the times I'm retained by an organization to do their training, but I come in as a neutral party. I'm not really representing the organization. Mm -hmm. I'm really coming in there to get the leaders on the same page as the employees. And, And the way that I approach it is saying, you know, let's get a commitment from the top that you're going to really make a culture where people can be treated with dignity and respect, regardless of their color or their religion or their race. And they have to commit to that. And then, you know, you have to make sure that you have the training behind it, the policies, the procedures, all of that has to be aligned. And then you need to really have accountability systems, right? So there's a lot that goes into creating that culture. I just do a piece of the, I do the training piece just because that's where I find that there is just so much work to be done on both sides, both on leaders need to do a lot of things differently. And employees also need to be empowered to lead within these organizations. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done on both sides. So I do both. So, so let's start with the just overall culture. Um, you mentioned you know, that these companies were, were and, and are uh, were doing a lot of things wrong. They're, they were handling complaints the wrong way. What's, what's some examples of some things that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times... There is, if I look at just diversity and inclusion, because that's the hot topic right now, right? So I figured I'd, I'd talk about something that's relevant on everybody's mind right now. But if you look at diversity, there companies spend a lot of money 
on their diversity and inclusion efforts, right? So why isn't this working? And when I started looking at it, because I have a really strong passion for diversity and inclusion work, it's, it underlies everything I do, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about it. But, but when I started going to a lot of these diversity and inclusion workshops and where organizations were spending their money, what I found was that they were spending a lot of their dollars on training employees on things that are that we're born with, our identity diversity, right? And they were putting a lot of money on those training efforts. But diversity, there's another component, which is our cognitive diversity, meaning we're all different. We have different personalities. We all resolve conflict differently. We all speak up differently. And they weren't spending enough money on that piece of the diversity piece. And that's why I come Mm -hmm. at it from a civility angle, because I get both sides. I do some of the diversity inclusion work, but I focus a lot on, on helping people understand that, hey, if you're dealing with something inappropriate somebody makes a rude comment how should you be handling that and and giving people the tools to be able to do that but that can only happen if the organization right the leadership makes that commitment to create that kind of culture and not all unfortunately not all organizations are doing that and so that's a huge part of that problem so, so what does that commitment look like what would be some examples of the way that would be implemented in, in a workplace? Yeah. So, for example, it, it, again, it has to be part of the holistic plan. But for example, policies, right? Your policies, a lot of organizations' policies are really there to meet what the law requires them to do. So, for example, in, you know, in, under federal law and state law, there are certain categories of people. So when you look at the equal employment opportunity laws, it says, you know, if you belong to any one of these protected categories like race, religion, sex, um, gender, identity, gender expression, whatever. Each state has different protected characteristics. If you belong to those and then you're at work, you get harassed or discriminated against, you can bring a lawsuit in court. So that's what the law says. So a lot of the policies are based around what the law requires it to do rather than making it about the culture around dignity and respect, right? Mm -hmm. So rewrite your policies and make them broader than the law. Don't just do what the law requires you to do. Same thing with like um, the way that they handle complaints and do investigations. You know, a lot of times what I saw as an attorney and when I was an investigator there are reasons people get harassed for all kinds of things, even if they don't meet the legal requirements, weight, whether you're bald or not, you know, what color hair you have. Those are not protected categories by the law, but it's a person shouldn't have to put up with that in the workplace if they are being picked on for those reasons or discriminated against. So a lot of times organizations won't take those complaints seriously and address them the same way they would if they didn't meet those legal requirements. Mm-hmm. So there is just so much work that can be training is another area, right? Like, you know, I say this all the time and anybody that listens to my podcast can be like, Sejo, can you come up with another example? But think about it, sexual harassment. Why was it that you're only required to go undergo sexual harassment training? What about if you're harassed because of your religion or because of your gender expression or whatever, why is it that the organizations are only doing what the law requires them to do? No, you should be training all of your employees, including your managers, on what is expected from them and what is okay in the workplace and what is not and what to do when behavior happens in the workplace, which is going to, especially when you have a diverse workforce, right? There's going to be, there's going to be issues because there's different perspectives. 
Hey, just want to take a real quick minute here to talk about another Libertarian podcast. If you haven't listened to Good Morning Liberty, it's a five-day-per-week show. Nate and Charlie, I don't know how they do it, five days per week, pumping out fantastic content. Also, um, their Twitter game, I have to say, I've been following them on Twitter, is on point. At Good AM Liberty, check it out. I don't know if it's Nate or Charlie running the account, but whichever one is doing it, fantastic job. Um, also, their their show. So, what is their show? They are trying to really take the onus of trying to change people's minds of how uh, people view libertarians, and they're trying to do this by leading with a message of compassion first. Rather than um, you know pounding on your keyboard and screaming at people like libertarians uh, love to do, so they're looking at ways in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. Uh, they both have uh, backgrounds in healthcare. They own a healthcare IT company. Check it out. Good morning, Liberty. Wherever you get your podcast, you can also um, subscribe to their podcast by going to BernieLies.com, which uh, in an so awesome redirects right to their uh, their podcast links page. So check that out. Good morning, Liberty. You know, that, that does make a lot of sense. And you would think that it would be sort of just like common sense that companies and businesses would want to create a culture where people just respect each other all across across the board, all categories. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that they kind of just fall back to what the law says, check that box. And then, well, if it falls outside of that, yeah, we'll just kind of ignore it. Um, I hadn't really thought about that a lot. That's That's an interesting point. Yeah, and that doesn't work. And and the other piece of it, too, we haven't even talked about yet, is a lot of organizations, you know, they don't create an environment where they want you to complain or they want you to raise concerns. They almost want to shut you up. And that's how's that going to work? Like, mm-hmm. how is it HR going to do his job? How is lawyers going to do their job? You can hire the top notch lawyers and HR people, but they can't do anything until they learn about the problem. But if you're not creating a culture, if you've got a culture of fear, people aren't going to speak up. I mean, there's plenty of research that says three out of four people who are harassed at work don't say anything. They don't say anything about it because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Right. So this doesn't work unless it's an everybody's got to be hands on deck. And I agree with you. I love what you said about common sense, because that's one of my favorite things is like, I wish common sense were more common. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I think everyone should agree that, I mean, you want to get we want to remove bullying, harassment, misconduct, um, all of these things from the workplace and try to say this in a way that doesn't make it sound like I'm. It's the way I don't want to, so I'll be careful what I say. Um, but we, we don't want to create a workplace that is too too sanitized, right? I mean, you want people's personalities to come out. You don't want a workplace full of you know people who are acting like robots who are afraid to be themselves um, or to you know may, maybe say something that could offend another coworker, not intentionally, but. You know, you don't want to take away the the human element uh, from the workplace. So, is that something that that you talk about? Where you know th- there is a line where some some people are just a little bit different. They're going to act differently. Maybe they were raised in a different part of the country or a different culture, and you know you have these different cultures coming together. So, there's not everything's going to be perfect. And, and that's the goal. That's not even the goal. Actually, is the opposite of that. 
is so to create an environment where people can bring their authentic selves to work, that they don't need to not bring their whole selves to work. That's what we're striving for. And the only way that happens is with intentional effort by all people involved, right? It has to be one where, you know, you, you're creating a culture. A culture is made up of its people. Right. So what you allow to go on within that organization, what you tolerate is going to become a part of what your organization's culture is. Mm -hmm. So what we're really talking about is we're not saying you can't bring out your personality or your sense of humor. or, But what we're saying is that we have to be respectful of each other. Right. So if, you know, you and your culture, you tell me a joke that you think is funny, but maybe to me because of my culture, something that you really don't know a lot about, but it's now creating its value violating or crossing one of my boundaries, you know, it doesn't always have to be like all the way to the other extreme. It could just be, it's making me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I should be able to tell you, Hey, John, you know, like that's for whatever reason, that's not making me feel good. I I'd, I'd prefer for you to not to do that again. And most of us are going to respond to that. We're going to say, Oh, wow, I had no idea. And we're going to stop. Okay, I say most of us, right? Because there are some people right. we can't help no matter what we do. But most of us, <laughs> that's, right? a, that's important to acknowledge though, <laughs> that there are, I mean, there are going to be people that, it can't be helped. That's right. And so, so, but what we want to do is set up systems where people can say to each other in a calm, professional, non-judgmental way, because here's the deal. A lot of these issues, I'll tell you, even as an attorney, I was dealt with this area since about 2003. I can tell you most of these cases really didn't start off with malice. They started off with just rude or unprofessional or just a comment that was made, you know, not intended to harm anybody, but it did. Or a lot of it stems from the fact that we all have unconscious bias, right? So mm -hmm. I call it unconscious belief because the word bias rubs people the wrong way sometimes. But it's these preconceived notions that are that are put into our, it's in our hardwiring of our brain without us even knowing it because it's our survival mechanism. So you've got all this information coming at you. It creates these little mental buckets. And then all of a sudden you see something for two seconds and we all do it. It's normal. If you've got a brain, you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. You see something for a couple of seconds and you make a snap judgment about it. The problem is a lot of times these judgments are wrong because they're based on limited experiences or limited facts. And so you have to do some things to make sure that you're not doing that to other people, right? But so if, if, if I have an unconscious bias and let's say you and I are on a meeting together, you know, without me knowing it, I might start interrupting you, for example right? That's a microaggression. I may not even realize that I'm doing it. So you need to then either you or if, if not you, because depending on the microaggression, it might be too much for you to have to be the one to tell me. It's not your job. You're the, you're the person that's dealing with it, but preferably bystanders that are there to say, hey, Sejal, you know, I, I, I again, it's got to be non-judgmental, but just focused in on the behavior. I noticed that, you know, you, you've interrupted John and John, I value his opinion. So I would really like to hear it because again, it's, it's happening because of an unconscious bias. I'm not doing it intentionally, but somebody needs to let me know. And if they do it in the right way, now I know. And then I have to accept the fact that I did that regardless of whether my intention was to harm you or not, but to accept that it, it was offensive to you and then not do that again. Right. So there are definitely things that we can do. It's never going to be perfect. And some level of conflict is actually good for the workplace. It's constructive conflict. We want that because that's going to make us 
work harder or be more creative or more innovative. So we do want that, but we need to have tools on how do we handle that when it happens? I mean, trust me, like you don't want me to handle conflict the way that my parents did at home, right? That's not what you want me to bring to work. So I've had to do a lot of work to get out of that place. So, but not everybody has. So we, we need to give people some tools, some skills because we're all different. And, and that's a beautiful thing. That's what makes us special, but we need to know how to deal with all that stuff. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. You bring that up, and it's something that I've become more aware of. Um, I, I guess with uh, just getting older and starting to understand um, interactions more so in the workplace. But you know, I, I think I have seen more of a shift recently, where you know, I think there were more people um, in corporate America who would just talk over other people in meetings and and uh, sort of just just shut them up. It does seem like there there is a shift going on there, and I, I do like how you pointed out that conflict, maybe not conflict is the right word, but being challenged in the workplace, if if it's employee to employee or manager to employee or vice versa, I think that is important, and, and that is really how things get flushed out, um, how you make progress sometimes. So I think it's important not to lose that. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about because. Um, I don't know if I'm entirely clear on the definition, and I, I hear I hear this um, this phrase thrown around a lot, and maybe sometimes it's used improperly. But you brought up microaggression. Mm-hmm. So what what does that mean? What's the definition of a microaggression? Yeah. So you know, because of all of these unconscious bias, and there's over 200 different types of unconscious bias and these are part of our hardwiring right and so we 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 might see a situation um you know i can give you an example um do you remember when i think it was either last year early last year or the year before there was that situation that incident happened where uh, a passenger was dragged off the airline mm-hmm. and it was all of the news right and it was everywhere it was all over linkedin it was everywhere on social media it was on the news and i was doing a lot of traveling at that time for work And so I got on a flight and literally saw a less than two second interaction between the flight attendant and a customer. And my head automatically assumed that it must be the flight attendant's fault, like automatically because of all of that stuff that was in my head. And so it impacted my decision making. And I caught myself because I was like, wait a second, you don't know what they were talking about. You really don't know what was going on. And so it turned out I was wrong. And she turned out to be a great flight attendant. I had a great ride. But if I would have responded to that judgment, I might have engaged in some sort of microaggression against her. So I might have made a comment. It could be a subtle comment. It could have been disrespectful, you know, making her feel like, you know, she didn't matter or she was not valuable. I might have said something. I might have done something with my body language, my facial features. I might have given her a dirty look. I might have snapped at her. I might have changed my tone. So microaggressions come in a lot of different formats, but there are these because of an unconscious bias, you're having a reaction. Now, you can also have the opposite of microaggressions. It could be microaffirmation. So if I've got some, it could be, because biases could be positive or negative, right? So if I've got some sort of positive bias against something, like, for example, it's called halo effect. So for me, my personal uh, uh, halo effect is where I go to, if I, so I really am a stickler for customer service. I value customer service. Like that's a huge thing for me. So for example, if I were to go to a restaurant for dinner and the waitress smiled at me, right? When I walked in, I'm going to view that as a positive thing. And I'm going to, my brain's going to quickly assume, oh, wow, the food's got to be great here. 
right? But that's not necessarily the case. Who knows if the food's going to be good or not? But because she had this positive trait, now I think the whole place is great, right? So, so we do this all the time. Like I said, it's normal. But, but imagine if I would have responded to that flight attendant. I mean, it could have wrecked my whole flight home. I mean, I, you know, who knows what could have happened, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, but it happens. And and once somebody, once you learn, the good news is. Once you do the work to learn what your biases are, and again, they're just potential biases. And I learned so much about myself when I started doing this work. Once you learn what they are, you can then check them at a door, right? So you can say, when I'm making this decision, oh, wait, okay, who knows if that bias is true or not, but let me not make sure of that. And I'm not going to make my decision based on that. Like, let me have some facts or some data to support my decision rather than responding or being reactive to that feeling or, or assumption I'm making right now. Yeah, well, that's I'm, I'm glad glad you clear that clear that up. It's it's almost like a form of of mind reading. I mean, you you come across something and you're already assuming you know what the person's thinking, mm-hmm. um, which which is always dangerous. I see that a lot on on social media with interactions yeah. between people, um, which which is not good. So I wanted to ask you about the training that you're doing. I, you said that it's it's more so. Uh, favors human stories than compliance checklists. So what would be some examples of of the way you would train people with human stories? Yeah, you know, I, I really, I talk about my own experience, John, you know, as a litigator and the cases that I've worked on. And, and I just use those as my stories, my examples about why we don't want to end up in litigation and nobody really wins. So I really bring just valuable insight from how these, I talk about the investigations that I've done and where organizations have had gaps and where they, you know, where they've done well, but also I come at it from the perspective of like, it's, I want to create inclusive work environments. So I don't want, I've created my program. So I'm talking to every single person in that room. You know, I don't want to alienate anybody. It's what we all have. When we strip away all of our differences, you know, which is what sometimes creates this disagreement or conflict in the workplace. When we strip all of that away, at the end of the day, we all just want to be treated with dignity and respect. So my course is, in my, my main, tra- I do a lot of different areas, but the main one that I do a lot of is stability in the workplace is really kind of a reset for organizations to say, look, we really want this to be our culture and we're going to put the resources, we're going to put, you know, the leaderships on making a commitment, we're going to hire a person that's going to oversee this. We're really going to want everybody. And the only way it works is if everybody is a part of the solution. So everybody has to get on the same page because we both know as you go up higher in the organization, that's where a lot of these behaviors tend to happen more or they've been gone or they get away with it more because of their leadership position. So we have to get everybody on the same page to really make this work. And, and I'll be happy to share organizations are actually I'm working with several that are doing that, and there are organizations that are I know are committing to this, and this is the perfect time to do it. Just look at our mm-hmm. world right now, right? So, oh, exactly. In these COVID times that we're in, with things shifting remotely, and you know, maybe, probably, it's happening now, and I don't know how long it's going to continue to happen for, but you have people wearing masks to work, and interaction between individuals wearing masks, you can't see facial expressions, things like that. Um, Same thing on the phone. A lot of times you're talking to someone on a conference call and you can't see their face. So have you seen any uh, impacts from that, negative impacts? Um, And just just, just your your experiences and takes on, on that whole phenomenon. It's been crazy. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, 
you know, there were companies that were saying that they couldn't have anybody working from home. And now we've got over 50% of the workforce working from home. So there has been a huge um, rippling effect because at the very beginning, I mean, it all started, you know, with COVID. I mean, organizations were dealing with the fires of something we've never dealt with before. And then it went to this remote workplace. And I think what ended up happening is because a lot of organizations were so focused in on, you know, making, making sure that they're handling the health or the the real emergency issues that culture took the back seat. Right. Because now we're not seeing each other and you've got all Mm -hmm. these, what, and what I was telling organizations, well, you've got all these people glued to their laptops and it's much easier, especially when you're dealing with the kind of stress that we're all dealing with to say something rude or unprofessional or harsh because you're hiding behind a computer screen. So Mm -hmm. cyber bullying cases just really, we've seen so much of that already, but it almost tripled because of the number of people now sitting. I mean, there were, I think I read a statistic somewhere where they said prior to COVID, people were spending about six hours a day looking at just email. That was prior to COVID, six hours a day, hmm. right? So now you're, do- you're doing way more. You're at least on there 11, 12 hours a day doing something, whether it's shopping online or whatever you're doing. But um, so because of that, the cyberbullying and the harassment that you see, it's, it's a different form of it. And again, organizations were maybe not as prepared to deal with what someone says on a Slack channel, right? Or what someone says on a text message that goes out to a group of people or somebody makes a racist comment on Facebook. Like these are all issues that maybe are new that organizations are having to deal with. So I'm not going to hold you to your prediction, but what do you see in the future here with regards to remote work? Do you think it's something that's that's here to stay in the same? Do you think it's trending? Do you think we'll see 50% even when COVID goes away? What, what, what do you What do you think the mix will be? Yeah, no, I think it's going to stay. It's definitely staying. I mean, I'm already hearing about organizations giving up their office leases and mm. spaces and um, because it's it's you know, now that they're set up for it, you realize, wait, our employees could be a lot happier if they get to work from home and they're more productive than they were before having to do that three hour commute back and forth. Mm -hmm. So you start to see that benefit. But also, I think that now employees are also going to demand that they're going to say, wait a second, I want more of a a work life balance, especially with the generations that are changing too. like we've got that we're going to have five different generations. So as that happens too, there's going to be more that you know, the younger generations, more of that work-life balance and collaborative environments, they're not looking for that traditional way of how leaders were running their organization. So I'm going to see, I'm gonna, I think we're going to see some good changes, positive changes coming out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful too. I know from my experience, I've been working from home now since, um, what was that, March, I guess? I've lost track of time. And there was some time in there where we did go back to the office a little bit, but it's been remote now for the past few months. But my company is looking towards mixing back, going into the office, and my guess would be um, maybe there'll be a mix in the future of what I would like to see. I guess maybe it's maybe it's not going to happen, but where there's still you know an opportunity if if a company does want to have some office space where you can go in and collaborate and hold meetings, yeah. things like that. But to have everyone just driving an hour or two hours to go sit in a cubicle just to sit there where you can do that at home just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and and, and I, I totally agree. I've been there, and it was it was complete hell. I, I was like, why am I doing this? And I, I, I frankly, I I think not just, but it, it it takes away from productivity, morale. You know, people are just going to come into this. They're going to start to day on a negative note. It's going to impact their numbers. I mean, it's just all over the place. 
and I also think the other area that, you know, I, you know, the challenge where I think, I think some of the companies that maybe should be doing that are going to resist is because I think a lot of the, um, you know, leadership still wants to think like, I want to see what people are doing. I want to be able to walk around and see. And so there's this level of trust that needs to be built. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes time. And so I think there's going to be some resistance on that area too, about how do we still create a team building environment? How are we going to still feel like we're inclusive? So they're going to have to think about these things because if they didn't, they weren't prepared for it, it's going to take some, you know, people, money, skills, and all of that stuff to make it work. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch for sure. So I just want to give you an opportunity now to, to talk about uh, if you want to plug your, uh, your your company and the services you offer or give some parting words, anything you want to share here. Yeah, no, I, I would just, I would tell people, you know, look, I, I think that we can change the workplace cultures. I think the stuff that I'm talking about in the work that I do is really wanting to help create cultures of civility. And, and the way that I talk about civility is to, to set the standard at zero tolerance, right? We, we're going to have a workplace where everybody um, treats each other with dignity and respect. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean it's going to work. You know, it's going to be hard work, but you know what? It's worth it. When we spend more hours at work than we do at home with our loved ones, it, we want to create those kind of cultures. So mm -hmm. that's really what I'm doing. Um, you know, if you want to get a hold of me or, or get more information on the kind of different trainings I provide because I provide a number of other trainings like sexual harassment, diversity inclusion, I do microaggressions and unconscious bias. And, I, and then another course I created because I'm really passionate about this area is workplace violence and bullying, um, bullying prevention, because that's just an area that I really think we need to talk more about. But you can go to my website. It's um, the name of my company is Train Extra. And my website is www t-r-a-i-n-x-t-r-a.com. And also, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I am a huge fan of sharing information. And so I'm always putting out resources and websites and just articles that are good for the areas that I focus in on. And I love to share that kind of information. Sajel, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me again. Hope you enjoyed that episode with another awesome guest here on Felony Friday. A couple things before you go about your day and scramble off to listen to your next podcast. Just want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Are you in it? Have you joined it? It's on Facebook. It's a great place to go to talk about the ideas of liberty, talk about criminal justice reform, all that great stuff. Just go to Facebook. You know that site, right? Just type in the top there, the search bar, Lions of Liberty Forum. It pops up. You click join. We let you in. Easy as that. Do it now. Um, also, for those of you who know me, who uh, follow me on the uh, social media, you know that I'm passionate about gut health, plant-based supplements, all that good stuff, really healing the body from the inside out. If you or someone you love um, is also interested in really natural healing, getting your gut healthy, overcoming things like uh, anxiety, inflammation, IBS, or maybe you're just trying to lose a few pounds. So much is tied to our gut. 70% of our immunity resides in our gut. 90% of our serotonin is made in our gut. 50% of our dopamine. The gut-brain access is a real thing, my friends. When they talk about a gut feeling, um, that's real because there's a connection there. You get the stress, the stress of feeling. You feel the upset stomach. That's a real thing. So if you're interested in learning more about 
gut health, probiotic systems, and healing from the inside out, striking the roots. Uh, let me know. I just did a webinar on it. So if you want to check it out, hit me up on my social medias on Instagram at John Odermatt or Twitter at John Odermatt, or you can find me on the Facebook. That's all I got for you guys today. And if you have anything for me, any topic suggestions for Felony Friday, as always, you can reach out to me, Felony Friday at lionsofliberty.com. Hope you all have a great weekend. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.